Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for May 20th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. And it looks like for right now it's going to be you and I, so we'll have to carry this thing for a little while. And um, in about 20 minutes, we're excited about a brand new guest. If you have seen the uh, channel Let's Talk Elections on YouTube, it's kind of a simulation where Ethan Kelly, the vlogmaster of the site, he um, of the channel, he usually puts up two candidates for national office and breaks down the electoral map. Sometimes he'll look at like Senate races, um, particularly like for the whole Senate map. He's done some of that, some celebrities, some other fun stuff. But he puts out a lot of content. We're going to talk to Ethan here. In just about 20 minutes, but until then, um, got kind of a, a sad topic to start off with, but unfortunately a frequent recurring one in America. And on Friday, there was another uh, school shooting at Santa Fe High School outside of Houston, Texas. And, you know, the shooting itself and, and the person that's responsible, I mean, there's a lot you can talk about there. But then some of the responses to it, were probably as bizarre as we've seen. Uh, Tim, start anywhere you want to with all that. Oh, wow. Um, One response that's come out in the last day or so, though, was from, I believe, the police chief. uh, Houston, is it? And he just essentially said... You know, on on uh, his social media page, that you know he doesn't want to hear about anyone's gun rights anymore, and yeah, someone did mention that to him. He, I hope they won't be unhappy. He said, "If I delete you, and uh, you know, I just don't want to hear nothing." that you have to say because I've had it with stuff like that until we do something. Um, The lieutenant governor of Texas, I guess, gave us the most bizarre idea this week uh, with his too many doors scenario I just uh, you know I've, I've heard a lot of stuff but too many entrances and exits to us mean by all means let's shut off most of the exits so we can you know you know have a, <laughs> a fire hazard or something I, I don't know what this guy was was talking about look I, I don't I don't see at this point 
what much else there is to say. We 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 we've heard all the thoughts and prayers stuff, and and we've heard over and over and over uh, the the almost comical at this point answer to these tragedies that have been proposed, like I just mentioned. And the truth of the matter is this: we sit down and we discuss everything about about this until guns are a part of any gun violence discussion then there's really nothing left to talk about I, 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 it, it's just I guess it's time to quit talking and people who want action need to start it doing it with the vote that's the way to get change you're just going to have to change the people that are in office right yeah i mean definitely so and talking about the lieutenant governor that that's you know they say you got to secure all the doors and and you know you if you have a, a armed uh, guards and resource officers and things like that you say oh well if we had one or two and we only had one or two doors we'd have armed guards there but then you have essentially a prison. You don't have a school. I think a lot of times we want to have aspirational politics and aspirational society, and we say what we like to have. And a lot of times we look at campuses that are like small colleges, and we say, wow, if our high schools could be like that in particular, since high school kids are older. And, I mean, you know, north of us, Gordon Lee looks like a small uh, liberal arts college Um Austin High School over in Decatur, Alabama, looks like a small community college. Every building separate from each other. Out west, my understanding is a lot of the lockers are outside in covered areas because of the weather allows it, and it saves on some cost, and it lets the campus be more open and friendly, things we should aspire to, not making it look like a prison. But, of course, if we want to protect one thing, and that one thing being guns, then we have to come up with every other thing possible. And that's where you get asinine stuff like too many doors. That's it. Talk about anything except the guns. Let's talk about mental health. Let's talk about entrances and exits. Let's talk about uh, not less guns, but more guns, giving everybody in the school a gun, you know. Let's, let's make teachers also be uh, soldiers or, or police officers or, you know, something like that. Let, let's do all of that. Let's talk about anything except what other countries have done, which is common sense gun control. And until they talk about that, until they do something about that, I'm sorry, these shootings are going to continue. If they're not in a school, they're going to be in a church, they're going to be out in the open, they're going to be at a concert in the middle of Las Vegas, they're going to be in a nightclub, they're going to be just everywhere. There's 31 people every day murdered with a gun in this country. There's more guns than there are people. We have 4.4% of the world's population, and uh, less than half of our population owns about half 
of the privately owned firearms in the world. That's less than 2% of the world's population owns half the guns in the world. I mean, that that is absurd, no matter where you're coming from. And until we address that, then what is there to do, David? What, what really is there to do? Yeah, and I'll tell you, and I say this as someone who's worked in schools for 20-something years, to me, that shooting in Las Vegas should have been a much bigger wake-up call than any of the school shootings because there, a lieutenant governor of Texas, there were zero doors. Or maybe there yeah. were all the doors out in the wide open yeah. space. And so, and, and things like that, it could be, and, and I don't know, I, I don't remember all the loss of life, you know, and all these different tragedies. I mean, I guess to, to stay sane and not eat all the mental health, you have to kind of block some of that out. But I believe the loss of life was much worse. And if those kind of incidents were to get replicated, it would be far worse because it was out in the open. To me, that should have been the wake-up call, and that was three tragedies ago, um, if we're talking yep. about really, really big ones. I mean, just the other night in Clayton County, at a, the graduation of the technical high school, two people were shot um, outside the graduation. Now, that wasn't like the um, lone, crazed gunman kind of thing. They don't exactly know what it is yet, but, I mean, that happened the same night, and so it's still another gun violence incident um, involving a school. Uh, another one that came up yep. after that was Sean Hannity because – the young man that was responsible for this uh, posted a shirt, kill them all, or some type of T-shirt that had kill on it on his social media. Then he said we should monitor, the government should monitor all social media. Let's just forget the big brother aspect of that thing, and let's just look at the logistical aspect of that thing. Kids aren't on just one form of social media there's more social medias than the three of us now. Welcome, Catherine. Could even calculate Certainly. because there's stuff. <laughs> that's okay. There's stuff that you know you don't know about in, unless you're under 25 or whatever. Um, and I doubt Sean Hannity and different people are able to find all these new forms of social media kids are into to even begin to monitor. I guess we would have quite a federal jobs program, though, if we decided to do that. So I guess um, maybe full employment uh, might be an unintended goal, and I don't know where the tax cuts would go because you'd need all that new government staff to, to monitor this. Cut about the unfortunate school shooting in Santa Fe High School in Texas. What were some of your thoughts? Well, again, it's outrageous that these things keep happening, and nothing happens to to stop it. No, we can't even discuss, you know, limit, limiting access to guns. It's just, it's, it's, um, it's ridiculous that we can't talk about, you know, what, a, what you know, it's all these ad- automatic weapons. Why? What is the need for these automatic weapons all, for everyone to have access to them? And I, I know, I mean, it, a lot of people talk about age limits. There's so many things that we could do that the right is just unwilling to even discuss, except things ridiculous things like what you were talking about monitoring all social media for all high school kids. Oh, there's that's gonna. Work. Sean Hannity was. <laughs> I, I, 
<laughs> I know how. Yeah, well, I know. I know you weren't suggesting it, but, but yeah, I mean, if they'll figure out another way to work to to figure it out to do it, it's not like, I mean, it's just that's a preposterous notion. Yeah, <laughs> they'll do anything and, and to, so, to not talk about limiting access to guns. Yeah, and, and I mean, we're about hope. You know, we're just about at the point where schools will be out for summer. So at least the venue won't be schools for a while, which is good. But it could easily be outdoor concerts, which are big in the summer um, because the weather gets better. Well, let's kind of turn to something else, and we know we'll be uh, divide this up into two halves, if you will, because of um, our guest coming on here in a minute. But talking about the Georgia primary election, um, there's been you know more advertisements more drama. We're going to make our predictions at some point, but um, this past week, I think we had discussed Michael Williams and his deportation bus, Um, but this week he took it around the state, and he got thrown out of a cracker barrel. Tim, when you're too country, too conservative for a cracker barrel, are you too conservative to get elected? (laughs) One of my favorite photographs of the week and i know you saw it Catherine. uh that that made the rounds uh, on social media someone took a picture up on i-75 near dalton the other morning of uh, that bus broke down uh <laughs> talk about karma i mean boy you know, he's going to be surprised, isn't he, Tuesday, when he gets 3 or 4% of the, the vote. And what's he going to do with that silly bus then? Live in it? I mean, <laughs> well, well, um, how, how, how far are these guys willing to go to try to push buttons with wedge issues, anything to get themselves noticed? Uh, including something as as bizarre as, as painting that bus like that with follow me to Mexico behind it. and Oh, jeez. Uh, and late in the week, everywhere he went, he came to Somerville, guys. He had six supporters <laughs> and five people standing there opposing him. A grand total of 11, not counting what news media was there. I would say things are not going real well. Um, yeah. Or Mr. Williams, wouldn't you, Catherine? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was like a last-ditch effort to get some attention, and it just yeah. made him a laughing stock. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who thought it was a great idea, but I, I doubt it's uh, even 3 or 4%. <laughs> Yeah, Tim, let me ask you something. He came to Somerville. Um, Which would have gotten him more support? If he would have brought his little deportation bus and talked all about the immigration issue, which we've talked about, is not even uh, even a hot-button issue like it might have been at some point. I mean, it's just a total boogeyman. Or if he offered to open a, a sports clips, which we found out when he was a guest on the show, uh, a sports uh-huh. clips up there in Somerville. Which one would probably garner him more support? <laughs> the funny thing about him coming to Somerville, you know, I told you the bus broke. Now, he didn't bring the bus with him. He had to come in a, 
a big Winnebago thing, I was told. I don't know. I was at, at work. But he would have just been better off coming to Somerville like other candidates of both parties have done over the years. Make the rounds. Go by and see the, the city and county leaders and make a call over to the newspaper and the radio station where both would have been glad to have done an extensive sit-down interview with him. And a real nice story. But what's the story instead? The bus that broke down. Well, that's that's just <laughs> terrific. So there we are. Yeah. Well, and, and I tell you, to me, he suffered another indignity that this week. This is Michael Williams, state senator from uh, – I know part of his district's in Forsyth. I don't, the whole thing's contained in Forsyth. Um, Casey Cagle did a – it's I guess what is it called when you're attacked? I guess it's a response ad. But then in his response ad, he has kind of has a playing card table. I saw it on Saturday Night Live, um, and he deals out three cards. And one calls what Brian Kemp did with his commercials a gimmick. And then he has I want to say let me get my guys right Hunter Hill, the one where he's doing the Marine obstacle course. He calls that hot air. <laughs> And then he has Clay Tippins, and he does something else. Honestly, it was a kind of the framing of the ad, not what he chose to talk about was any good, but the framing of it did catch your attention, and that's really what you got to do in a fast-forward DVR world is you got to get somebody to actually slow down. I just wanted to watch the sucker so I could talk about it on the show. But <laughs> Michael Williams, with his deportation bus, the major gimmick, didn't even make Casey Cagle's response ad. Uh, Catherine, what does that <laughs> say about his campaign? Yeah, they're not even. They're not, he's not even being considered as a, a legitimate uh, opposition. <laughs> yeah, and, no, and, these guys are crazy. Yeah, and so I saw that ad. Honestly. I haven't seen any other candidates other than on the Republican side, since we're dealing with that side of the race. I haven't seen anybody but Cagle and Kemp. And honestly, I think I've seen one of Kemp's ads run once on TV. I've seen them a lot more everywhere else, uh, even national po- repostings of it. So he's gotten a lot of our media. But I, I don't know that I've even seen Hunter Hill, Michael Williams, or – Clay Tippins ads run on TV. Now, granted, I don't watch the local news, and I know that's that's mass must. That's where you put your ads. But uh, Tim, where have you been seeing the ads most on the Republican side? Well, I, I, like y'all, I've been seeing most of them on 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 the internet. I've now I've been seeing uh, some of Cagle stuff on TV, but he's he spent a bunch of money. I think all the candidates together have spent like. Well, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen million dollars, and he spent five million of it himself. Um, that that's candidates from both parties together have spent that much, so he he's really put it out there. But the the others, no, I've just been seeing it on the uh, on the social media. Uh, Catherine, have you been seeing anything in Atlanta? Yeah, I see him on. Um, so I watch uh, in the morning every weekday. I watch. Um, WSB and then um, so the morning news on WSB and then I watched a little bit of Good Morning America and I've been seeing I don't know if I've seen Michael Williams but I've seen Tippins and 
uh, Kemp and Cagle and the Stacys pretty regularly. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I would recommend that Michael Williams put his uh, ad budget in bus repair. But right now we're going to switch. <laughs> we're going to put a pin in Georgia. We're going to come back to it. And we're going to welcome, I believe, from Maryland, from Let's Talk Elections, Ethan Kelly. Welcome, Ethan. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, good to have you on. Well, Ethan, um, I kind of previewed your channel early on, and I posted it in there, so hopefully people have begun to familiarize themselves with you. Before we get to your actual channel, just give us a little bit about your background. Um, well, essentially, so I started, like, getting into the political stage when I was around, like, seven years old when my dad um, brought me to a voting booth in 2008, um, of course, between Barack Obama and John McCain, and then um, you know, I pretty much didn't really, to be frank, I really didn't care about how politics was um, going because I was around a young age. I was still um, in the early stages of my childhood. And then as we led up to the 2012 election, uh, we had a project to do in school. So we had to make our own prediction for the 2012 election. And then we had some representatives from our state Democratic Party come in and talk to us. And then I started actually getting interested in how presidents started getting elected. And then um, 2012 came around, Barack Obama was reelected, and, you know, I memorized a number of facts from that election. And then I pretty much took a break until midterms came around. And then when 2016 fully came around, um, it was just all out, like, going over the primaries, talking about, talking with other people about who they're voting for. And I just was fully invested in this election. And it's pretty much led into me creating a YouTube channel to get my voice out there, how I believe certain elections would go, or how I believe current elections, like um, primaries that are coming up, coming up pretty soon. And yeah, so my entire background was just based off um, exposure to politics as a young, at a young age. Yes, and I take it you're still in high school, correct? Yes, I'm a freshman, actually, yeah. Wow, wow. even younger than I thought. Uh, very impressive. I, I was in college when I started getting things going, hosted a radio debate one time. I thought I was getting some things going when I was in college. You just uh, blew me away. Um, the fact that you're still in high school getting this channel that has had, I guess, combined millions of views. Uh, tell us about that channel, kind of the content. Just to suppose that our listeners, you know, never seen it. Um, so I started off my channel just making election predictions of previous elections. So my first ever video was the 2008 presidential election if Hillary Clinton was the Democratic nominee. So that really interested me because she was the 2016 presidential um, Democratic nominee. And I wanted to see if she would have been better off in 2008. So I went through all the opinion polling data, um, the shift and, you know, the influence of vice presidential factors. And I made my first video. It was pretty much an election prediction. And then, you know, I took a break from YouTube for like two weeks and then, I noticed that that video had started getting a lot of views. So I started doing things that were in the future. And then I started leading into the 2020 election. And my, first, my second video was Elizabeth Warren versus Donald Trump. Of course, like, she's very prominent in the Democratic Party now. A lot of people wanted to run in 2020. So essentially, I've just been taking top Democratic contenders and putting them up against Donald Trump, just seeing how they would uh, eventually go against him in 2020. My maps are never truly perfect. They're ever-changing because different things affect the president. But, um, you know, right at the moment I make the video with how I believe the 2020 election would eventually turn out. So most of my predictions now are focused around 2020 or 2018 because those are the most prominent ones. But I do go back and do like alternative history um, of like 2016, 2012, and 2008. Yes. Now, so I just kind of did some rough numbers about how many subscribers, total video views, what's been the most video view, uh, viewed video. Kind of give us some stats. 
So my YouTube channel has 11,500 subscribers now um, and a total of 3.8 million views channel-wide. And funny enough, um, my most popular video is between Kanye West and Donald Trump with um, around 300,000 <laughs> views on that. So that was pretty interesting. I, I made that video because actually uh, one of my viewers commented saying that I should do a real election prediction because I made a joke video where I gave Kanye West all 50 states and then it ended up being my most popular <laughs> video. All right. Well, I'm going to, I still may have a question or two about the future, but I'm going to pass it to Catherine, then to Tim, my co-host, for some questions. Catherine? Hey, thanks for being on with us tonight. We really appreciate it. I'm sure you're, I hope you've gotten your homework done tonight. <laughs> you're all ready for school yeah. tomorrow. Um, yeah. Uh, what is, uh, so number one, how did you do on that first uh, paper that you did? Um, or that first uh, project that you did for school, did you, were your teachers um, surprised and impressed by the effort? Um, yeah, actually, my teacher let me come up in the front of the class to explain my electoral map, and I actually contacted him during the 2016 election and thanked him for um, introducing me to politics in, like, in school, so I was able to get my opinion out to my fellow classmates, and they were pretty surprised how invested I was because most people were just doing it to get it over with. But I actually wanted to go a little further in depth with it. And I actually did some things like um, I made a few animations of Mitt Romney talking, um, and my teachers were actually surprised about that. Well, that's cool. Um, and and what what do you see as the um, – you know, so how do, how do you envision this, um, like, say, a couple years from now? Like, what is your – sort of long-term goal about, like, how how do you see this playing into, you know, like, I mean, aside from, like, are you just going to continue with the same theme of doing the, the, the videos the same way, or do you have some other, like, ideas about um, maybe studying statistics and being more, I mean, I think you're doing great, but is that is this something that you think would be a long-term, like, uh, career goal of, working with this kind of stuff? Most people have asked me whether or not I wanted to get into a political career. Really, I see this as a way for me to get my voice out as a young person, but I don't see it as something I could do as like a long-term career. Um, the YouTube channel is great. Everything's great. But in high school, I think next year I'm probably going to start uh, selecting my career track to be in something in like biology. I've always been interested in being a doctor since a young age, and it's something a little bit different. Um, there are a few prominent doctors in the political stage, um, like Senator Rand Paul, or um, Dr. Ben Carson, but, you know, I really want to focus on helping people in um, when it comes in terms of being a doctor or in terms of biology, which is a subject I really love. Politics started out as a hobby, but I could definitely see myself getting into a career on the political stage, but I really want to focus on um, going to college, you know, going through and majoring in biology and things like that. Well, that's cool. I mean, I think in these days, uh, being a doctor uh, sadly is, uh, very political for many people. So it, it suits you. It suits, suits it well. So, um, I'm going to just ask one more question and then I'm going to pass it over to, uh, Tim. What is your, um, what is the, your, your like favorite response that you've gotten? Like do people reach out to you after you've posted things and, and comment, have you gotten, you know, or is there some specific, uh, time that someone, thought about something in a way that you hadn't expected? Well, yeah, when it comes to uh, actually a couple of my joke videos, those are the ones where I typically get the most reactions from because everyone expects the same result from certain election predictions. But when I put up 
uh, two candidates that people have really never seen or never expected to go against each other. I typically get comments where people actually make me look at it in a more serious sense and actually makes me think about things that could happen because um, four years before 2016, people didn't really think Donald Trump as a prominent uh, politician. They probably thought of him as someone who's just outspoken. And now that I'm thinking about it, a number of these things that, um, like where I did an Oprah Winfrey versus Donald Trump video, people were actually making me think about it as if Oprah Winfrey did run. You know, the video was done in a joking and comical sense, but then I started realizing that there is a great possibility that people, someone like her could run because um, if we learned anything from 2016, pretty much anyone can be president and you know, their background doesn't matter. There's a lot that has changed, and people have made me look at it from a different point of view. Well, that's great. That's really great. Okay, I'm going to pass it to Tim. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Yeah, no problem. Uh, good evening, Ethan, and thank you for being with us tonight. Um, when you are doing these matchups now for 2018, are you thinking the Democrats can retake the Senate, or is that a bridge too far? Um, you know, it really depends on where we are in today's day and age. Uh, there is definitely times where I think the Democrats, they have the House, they have the Senate, but they'll take the House, they'll take the Senate. But, you know, there are times where the Democratic Party really, uh, to be frank, they just screw up sometimes with their top leaders saying things that they shouldn't, and it really reflects badly on the Democrats. When it comes to looking at the a generic ballot polls. There was a time where Democrats were up by 16% nationwide, and now it's gone mm -hmm. down to a 4% lead. So at that time, sure, I would have said the Democrats could retake the Senate, but now I'm starting to see a more of a GOP backlash. Um, 2018 is turning out to be mildly like a blue wave, but Democrats aren't really nurturing it the same way the Tea Party was able to in 2010. So I don't think they'll take the Senate as of today, but again, that could change in the near future. Okay. Now, now you've mentioned you're Currently testing a lot of matchups for the 2020 presidential election. Seriously speaking, uh, Kanye West aside, what would you say <laughs> would make or the most compelling matchup of candidates? Um, you know, um, the most compelling matchup for me would probably be um, actually that would actually be Hillary Clinton running again in 2020. That would be pretty interesting. Um, uh huh. You know. I think the Democrats, I don't think they would renominate her, but I think if she did run again, um, there would be a lot more focus on her. And I, I do think she would lose if she did run again, but I think that would actually be the most interesting um, because it's having someone come again and buy for the presidency again. Typically, people would expect me to say something like Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden, but as of right now, you know, she's stepping a little bit back more into politics like today um, with her whole Russian hat thing at the um, Yale senior speech. But uh, that. You know, I, I just think that would be a little interesting seeing her come back into politics. I don't necessarily want it to happen, but I think, in my opinion, it would be the most interesting. Yeah, and i got to ask you this before I throw it back to David. Because of what you do, would you say you're a person that finds the horse race aspect of these campaigns to be more interesting than, I don't know, say, the issues? Um, you know, when it comes to looking at the candidates, there are definitely um, races that are just purely based off uh, someone trying to get back at someone. A lot of these uh -huh. elections occur because people want to say, oh, I'm going to go back for a rematch. We see it and we don't see it really on a presidential level, but we definitely see it when it comes to like Senate elections. We see the same two candidates on the ballot like three times in a row. Or when it comes to representative uh -huh. races or um, House representative races, those are definitely 
a number um bills happen a number of times but I think that when it comes to the political candidates, depending on who they are, that's pretty much more important than the issues. When it came to 2016, I really think it was down to the character and the morality. That was something that was really prominent. It wasn't really the issues on, like, health care or um, the economy, which um, definitely did help Donald Trump, but I don't think it was the only reason why he won. I think he won because people negatively viewed Hillary Clinton. It was pretty much focusing on bashing one another and not bashing their political views. It was just um, how they acted, what they said, and that was just the uh, complete front of the 2016 election. Yeah, that's an excellent analysis. And with that, I am going to throw it back over to David. David? Yes. Ethan, um, uh, most of your videos you do a screencast where, of course, you have audio. And then on your screen, you have a map of the United States where you can take it red to blue. It starts out gold, I believe, usually. You may have some independent colors. Um, but have you looked into and have, have you found a way, like let's say you wanted to analyze the Texas Senate race or the Ohio governor's race, have you found a tool where you could have the county maps or at least the regions of the state where you could click those blue or red to do a deeper analysis of a specific state? Yeah, I have actually where um, there's a website online where you're able to single out certain states using the counties or just the congressional districts um, of the United States, and you're able to sing out that, single out that uh, certain um, state, and you can, of course, fill it in with, like, red or blue. So I have found a way to do that. I just haven't been focusing as much on particular states because typically um, I focus on more of a generalized, you know, American-type view of how the election would turn out because I'm not so – uh, sure about my I'm not so confident in my prediction of a state like Ohio or Texas but I did do that once when it came to the Alabama Senate special election um, I predicted this was way before um, the whole pedophilia type scandal came out but I predicted a Roy Moore victory and I had the county map where I believed how the counties would go with red or blue and it was almost spot on um, with a couple counties that are typically red going blue in that election um, but in that prediction, I did predict a Roy Moore victory. But in other states, I've done it in Virginia as well, where I said that Ralph Northam would win, um, and I showed a county map. So I am able to do that. It's just not as prominent in my videos because, again, it would take a lot more research about a specific state than it would on a national level. Yes, and, and that said, I mean, maybe you could, as you get bigger, and I, that's going to lead into my next question, you could find, say, a Texas expert. Uh, Ohio expert and kind of do maybe a combo where you had that person on and you um, used your technology and screencasting and channel with their knowledge of the state. And that kind of leads to my next question. Um, have you gotten any national attention or attention outside of just your uh, local channel? Um, I Not really. Um, I've seen a couple of my videos used in uh, a couple of blogs, but I haven't really seen it at all on like a national level um you know most people don't really recognize a channel that only has like 10,000 subscribers um a couple of my friends have been on the national media for running in the kansas governor race where there's pretty much no requirement for being able to run um and they've been on the national media but personally i haven't yeah and then my final question i had is probably my favorite video you've done or one that i think is the most um useful for political analysis is one you did about two months ago called The Best the Democrats Can Do in 2018. Now, obviously, we have to understand that was done at that time. Things can change. But you looked at all the states Senate-wise. Um, kind of just beyond what you put into that video, 
What do you think are, say, the two or three Senate races that are going to be the most intriguing and kind of decide this thing? Um, so the first one that I would think is the most intriguing would be the state of Tennessee, where we have a former governor who left office with higher than a 70% approval rating as a Democrat. Um, you know, he won re-election in 2006 with winning over every single Tennessee county, and he left office pretty popular versus Marsha Blackburn, um, a representative from the state of Tennessee, and of course, the incumbent Bob Corker um, is retiring. So this race is deemed a toss-up by many political pundits. It's also deemed lean Republican, but safe Republican. Um, and this one, I think, will be the most closely watched because we have someone who's super popular, but he is a Democrat. So this is a very Republican state. But when it comes to a statewide issue like a governor's race, they may be more lenient in voting for the Democrats. Uh, but when it comes to a Senate race, it's more on a national level on the balance of power. So I think that one I'm going to watch really closely. And another one is the state of Missouri. Um, that one, we see a pretty unpopular Democratic incumbent, um, you know, fending her way against uh, the current, um, I believe he's the Secretary of State, um, but he's closely tied to the governor. And, you know, the governor currently has a minor scandal, probably won't be enough to uh, hinder his Senate race. But uh, this one will be closely watched as well, because the polls are going back and forth between the Democrat and the Republican. And then the third race would be down in Arizona, um, a part of the Sun Belt. Arizona, I think, will be closely watched because of the fact that this is a state that's slowly turning more Democratic. It wasn't a swing state in 2008 um, or 2012. And then 2016 came around in states like Arizona and Georgia both became swing states. And Arizona, in particular, has a number of um, increasing Latino voters and Latino turnout, which is definitely driving the elections to become closer to swing in the Democrats' favor. Um, what we saw in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania didn't correlate with what we saw in Arizona. They went completely in opposite directions. So I think Arizona is going to be closely watched because, again, we have an unpopular Republican leaving office, and we'll eventually see how um, this will be. This will show on the national level. Yes. Well, Ethan, that was great analysis. And if you're willing, sometime in the future, late summer. Um, early in the fall, might like to have you on again, and obviously we can get into more of those kind of hard-hitting political questions next time you come on. Yeah, definitely. That'd be great. All right. Thanks again. Um, Thank you for being on. That was, yeah, that yeah, was no Ethan Kelly of Let's Talk Elections. If uh, you have not seen his um, uh, channel, basically if you just search Let's Talk Elections, It'll come right up. Um, Tim, I think you dropped off. We got you back on, so don't worry. Uh, we're good there. Uh, guys, that was a freshman in high school, and he analyzed political races as well as some people you'll see on, you know, TV news shows that are, you know, paid or they've gotten as experts to analyze races. Very impressive young man, and, um, just the fact that he's gotten into the arena, but then he's gotten to the arena and done such a good job. He caught my attention. So if this guy gets bigger, I want it noted that we found him, you know, on the on the Kudzu Vine nationally. Uh, we had that first appearance, if you will, although, um, you know, the, I think there's bigger uh, arenas in Ethan's future than our show uh, coming up. Um Anything y'all want to say about him before we move back into Georgia, Catherine? I'm I'm good. Uh, Tim? He's a very impressive young man, uh, uh, a freshman in high school. That's uh, 
That's not too shabby, huh? Yeah, it's amazing what screen testing can do, and you don't even realize a lot of times he's doing it that way because I've seen that for a lot of instructional videos, and his is much smoother, so he's got the technical side down, not just the political and uh, analyst side down. Well, let's get back into our Georgia predictions. We were kind of talking about the Republican side. Guys, do y'all want to just continue to talk about the race, or do y'all want to make y'all's Republican prediction? Then we'll move on to the Democratic side. Catherine, any choices? Oh, no, it's up to you guys. Okay. Tim, do you want to go ahead and do a prediction now, or do you want to keep moving and then come back to our predictions? Um, sure. Who do you want to start with first, the Republicans or well, the Democrats? That's what I'm saying. Let's do the Republicans, then we'll talk about the Democratic side of the government race. We'll do a prediction, then well, we'll move down. We're, we're probably not going to get all the way um, down the ballot. We'll get to a few. Um, let's uh, go ahead and do that Republican uh, side. Um, Tim, what do you think? Well, I, I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and predict three runoffs on the Republican side. I think Kemp has put himself into a position to uh, make the runoff now with Cagle for governor. I think that Schaefer and Duncan are going to be in a runoff for lieutenant governor. And I think Josh McCoon and our old friend Buzz uh, might uh, square off in a runoff for the secretary of state. Yeah, I was just thinking we did the governor's part, but we can do more if we need to. Catherine, do you want to do just the Republican governor's side, or do you want to do more? Well, I I can say I agree with with Tim on the lieutenant governor and secretary of state, but I'm going to go with Cagle and uh, Hill for the in the in the runoff for governor. Yeah, and I actually, on there, I think there's a, if he doesn't do it, I think Casey Cagle is going to get sneakily close to that 50% mark. Um, I just think when it comes down to people showing up to vote, I think you have a lot of people that show up to vote for county commission races and sheriff's races, and they're not going to be the kind of folks that are swayed by these deportation buses and you know, I'm going to take a gun to everybody I find, including my um, daughter's boyfriend. And, and so if he doesn't get the run, if he doesn't avoid a runoff, uh, it's going to be really, really close. If he does get a runoff, I guess Brian Kemp seems to have had the most um, attention paid. And so whatever it is of that, you know, fringe vote, I think he's going to, um, I guess, coalesce enough of it to get second place, but it's not going to be a real strong second place. Um, and so I just let me, let me just say, David, that go ahead. David, I think you should look at some of Cagle's ads because he's been full tilt on this, on this immigration stuff too. Yeah, I think, and I'll tell you what, and it's no excuse. It's absolutely zero excuse. I think he wanted to run a campaign about economic development and technical education and a bunch of stuff like that. And I think that he is, as of the mind, and hopefully he's wrong, but he may be right, that the Republican electorate is just swayed by a bunch of hot-button wedge issues like immigration and abortion and, and other things that he defended himself on, if you will, 
from the fringe right. And and I guess that's what he's thinking, that that's what the Republican primary electorate, you have to talk about those things. And maybe it's the case. Maybe the Tea Party element is so strong that that's what the Republican primary is about. Um, but, but I do think that you're going to see then him probably run a million miles away from that stuff in the general. Um, and hopefully everybody would run a million miles away from that stuff because it's just fringe garbage um, issues. It's not what affects the everyday Georgian of any political persuasion. Um, so that's kind of just my thought on there. It sounds like I'm, I'm like fan clubbing it up. I'm just trying to, I just think what he started off with is so much better than what Brian Kemp and Michael Williams started off with. They just started off. Yeah, I agree with you. Garbage I, I in, agree garbage that... out from month one. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about the Democratic side. Um, and we were talking about ads on the Republican side. I actually have noticed something that most of Stacey Abrams' ads have been outside political committees. I actually saw one during Saturday Night Live last night, which was probably the best ad I've seen um, for her campaign. It was actually by the Power Pack, uh, not you know just one of the outside groups, but it actually was one of the better ads I've seen. It was a little bit of a defense again of a Stacey uh, Evans' ad. But I saw that run. But have y'all noticed that a lot of her ads have been pack ads? And not that that's good or bad. It's just a thing. Um, but, but have you noticed that, Tim, that a lot of her ads have yeah, been Yeah, there's been a lot more outside money spent on, on her side. Uh, she, she, she's gotten national attention, especially from progressives. And they've, they've, uh, they've come to campaign for her. There's no doubt of that. So, yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah, Catherine, have you noticed that as well? Yes, absolutely. There's yeah, a lot I mean, of people, like I said, it's a lot of a, groups coming out. Yeah, not a good or bad thing. It's just what it is. Um, well, I guess uh, in the closing moments, we have seen, or in the closing weeks, we've seen some polls come out, and they have shown that you know Stacey Abrams has a pretty substantial lead Although an anomaly in one of those polls, it, it actually the 11 Alive Survey USA poll tested um, general election matchups, and the difference was pretty negligible. But it did show that Stacey Evans, even though she's losing very badly in the primary, would do about a point better. Um, not that that point makes all that difference. You would just think if she was doing that much worse in the primary that she would be doing much worse in the general. Uh, Tim, you kind of pointed that out to us uh, when you sent us the poll. Are you you sent mm-hmm. us the poll link? Um, uh-huh. What do you think the explanation there is? Well, the explanation there is that both candidates, uh, when tested as the nominee, are coming right up to the ceiling of forty-one percent. Now we got to do better than that. But that's what both Democratic candidates, it doesn't matter what Casey Cagle's doing, whether he's at 44, 45, 46, 48, whatever. Both Democratic candidates are sitting right at 41%. That, that tells me two things. Number one, we've got to do better than 41%. Number two, it is at least telling me that regardless of who the nominee is, uh, that the Democratic base is going to vote for him. 
you know, or, or, th- or that's what this poll is indicating. So, so I, I believe that's what he's showing, to be honest with you. Yeah. Catherine, what did you think about those polls that came out this week, the 11 and the 5 poll? Well, I think um, there. I haven't looked at them. You know, I haven't looked at any of the crosstabs or anything. I just saw the basic numbers. And I think that – there's just there's a lot of work to do between now and November, and I'm thankful that um, we will have a clean primary. We won't have a runoff. One of one is going to win, and then we can start running a general. Whereas the Republicans are going to have, uh, you know, fisticuffs in the in the runoff, and hopefully we benefit from that. Hopefully we are able to, you know, set our playlist and our um, our agenda clear and um, start working on, on voter contact and um, before the Republicans have a chance to start attacking us, which is ultimately what will happen. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, something that I thought was interesting and it was kind of interesting that she admitted it, but I guess it was kind of part of a larger narrative. I noticed this week that and y'all may have heard it weeks ago, and I just read it this week. Um, that Stacey Evans said that her mother actually voted for Donald Trump, um, and I guess her case was you know she tried to talk sense into her mother, but um, that shows how you know people that have no business economically voting for Donald Trump still be fooled by him, and um, you know you got to try to appeal to those voters. Um, Catherine, were you surprised that she admitted that? And then what do you make of it, if you will? I actually didn't even hear about that. Um, I don't think that bodes well for her, honestly. I mean, if she can't even convince her mother to vote in a way that as a, you know, representative and you know longtime democrat if she has not been able to convince someone so close to her then how 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 do we expect her to convince strangers yeah i don't and then she was the president of the georgia young democrats for at least a full term so she's been involved in you know state level democratic politics for a while i I just thought that was kind of um, interesting that um, that that came up. Although I've been to Ringgold, I'm sure Tim's been to Ringgold. Catherine Smith too. That's a a pretty conservative area, not really a, a bastion of democratic politics. The fact that she's a Democrat kind of speaks to her independent thinking coming from that kind of area. Tim, did you catch that, and what did you make of that? Yeah. Now, what I made of it is that she was probably trying to convey to voters around the state that the Democratic Party has some work to do uh, with uh, people who were persuaded to vote for Donald Trump that perhaps normally would vote Democratic. Although uh, I'm with you on Catoosa County, I'm not sure if anything would convince them to vote uh, Democratic. Quite often, that county goes over 80 percent Republican in in midterms and everything else. We just get wiped out up there. It's one of the most Republican counties 
uh, in the state and probably the most, certainly the most Republican county in the north uh, northwest corner of the state. So um, I, I think I know what she was trying to say, but at this point I, I don't think it's really, it's really going to make any difference, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, I guess it's time to, to make our predictions on the top-line race on the Democratic side, Catherine, uh, since I think you might have gone, well, I guess I went last on last time, but go ahead and go first on this prediction. Oh, I think it's going to be Abrams clearly like, in a significant win. Yeah, um, I'll go ahead and I'll go next on this one. If it's not Abrams, the polling on this race would be, I guess, more off than uh, the Michigan polling. I guess the one thing you would say is there were a good number of undecideds, but Stacey Evans would almost have to collect like 90% of the undecideds. And I haven't, I think if, if it was the 11 alive poll, that might, you know, cause the race to be in her favor. But in the five poll, the Channel 5 poll, I'm not so sure. I thought Stacey uh, Abrams was like at like 60 some odd percent. So she could, so Evans could collect all of the undecided votes if that poll were accurate, and um, it still wouldn't get it done. Tim? Yeah, I'm thinking uh, Abrams, if, if, if it's under a 20-point race now, Evans should be <laughs> happy with that because she's, she's not going to win. She, the, the, she's done. Yeah, and one one question I do want to ask y'all while we're on this race, because honestly the, the down-ballot races really on both sides have gotten very little attention. It seems like the governor's race is going to you know, be the 800-pound gorilla, is that a lot of, uh, particularly Daily Coes, and, and you know, friend of the show, David Neer, I mean, he's one of the people that weighed in on this race early. He weighed in on this race, and a lot of progressives weighed on this race for Stacey Abrams, but... It wasn't to me like, you know, sometimes you see these races and the candidates are very different and you understand why, you know, they, the progressive outside groups may weigh in for one side or the other. But Stacey Evans was pretty progressive in that she, you know, had come up to the Democratic uh, groups, young Democrats president. It wasn't like it was just a, you know, candidate that was completely in the middle of the road and one very far to the left. I mean, to me, there was not as much room between the two candidates. Um, Catherine, were you surprised that um, outside the state groups got involved so fast, so heavily on one side of this race? I wasn't surprised at all. Stacey Abrams has a okay. has a national profile and um, is, you know, rec- I mean, she's she won the the um, Kennedy Prize. She's, you know, she's very um, well respected around the country, and she has has gotten a lot of uh, fundraising through that. And I think she's well known. So I I think it was not surprising that people came out in support of her. A lot of that support started uh, before Evans was even in the race officially. Mm. So I think that. Uh, played into it too that she started running uh, or at least um, implying or or, uh, everyone believed that she was running 
before Evans threw her hat in. So I think that uh, helped to increase her national visibility as well. Well, Kim, I'm going to kind of change the question. We're going to assume Catherine's right about this, that a lot of it came because the Abrams got in the race so early. Did Stacy Evans kind of miscalculate jumping into this race? I, I think that she did. And, and, you know, I told you this week about seeing both of them in person in a room that essentially had about the same 100 people in it at different times. One candidate, did, you know, it just, she didn't take. She, it, it, it was a very low-key, um, pretty polite type applause. The other candidate, Abrams, when she came, she literally brought the house to their feet. She has had this series of what the media has described as raucous rallies, you know, around the state, uh, especially in the metro area. Um, and, And I think she's just really excited her voters more. She does have a compelling story. All the things Catherine said, by the way, are spot on. Uh, I heard a story about her on national public radio just the other day. Um, so yeah, I think I think uh, Stacey Evans has got a, you know, she she's still pretty young. She's got a good career ahead of her in politics. I think she picked the wrong race in the wrong year. I do. I think this was Abrams' race uh, to lose, and she didn't lose it. She ran a pretty good campaign, and she's going to win it by a touchdown. Yeah, maybe more than that if it's the polling's yeah. correct. Well, let's kind of go to something. Let's kind of change gears. I said, I think a lot of the constitutional races David, you're, um, David, you're as, really muffled. Uh, I'm so, sorry. You're, I have my hand in front of the thing. I have two bars. I did switch hands just that's then much to see better. if that helps. Much better now. Well, I don't know. I didn't have my hand in front of the the microphone or anything. Let's look at uh, some of the congressional races, because one that kind of jumped out at me was the 6th District, but the 7th District has a lot of candidates. There may be some others we hadn't even thought about, or or at least I hadn't thought about it, one of y'all have. Um, But do y'all think any of those congressional races, the primaries, are going to have any surprises? Um, Catherine? No, I haven't even looked at them, honestly. I mean, I haven't been paying any attention to the okay, congressional the races. District, for instance, I'll kind of frame it for you. You've got two candidates that have either had television ads or had national um, coverage of their campaigns. And um, uh, let me see the names. Uh, Bobby Capel, who he's got television ads running. Lucy McBath, uh, CNN did a, art- a news article on her. I think they also did a TV piece that went along with the online article. I mean, to me, that's going to be a pretty interesting primary because the winner – and there are two more Democratic candidates in that race. Um, the winner faces Karen Handel running for a full term. Um, you got some other races, the seventh. Um, Tim, does any, any of that jump out at you? Yeah, the I think the mo- one of the more compelling uh, races is in that sixth district. Um We've got uh, 
a different sort of group uh, that don't have a lot to do with each other, that that have gotten in that race for very different uh, reasons. Uh, I'm going to be very interested to see which one of them uh, prevails. I know that uh, 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 Lucy McBath, for instance, um, with her focus on uh, gun violence, you know, having lost um, a a son to gun violence, uh, for instance, uh, they they they've been running a lot of stories on her. We've got a we've got a former news anchor in the race. We, we've got all kind, but it's going to be interesting to see which one of them prevails, and then how they will match up with Karen Handel. I want to see if Karen Handel runs better this November than she did in the special election when she barely prevailed over uh, Ossoff. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that race is framed against the, the, the national horse race this year. So I'm going to say the 6th District of Georgia is going to be, if there's going to be any surprise of, of any kind, I would say it would have to be there. What do you say, David? Yeah, I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's the most intrigue. There are, I did notice this. of the. Um, there's a lot of competitive primaries on the Democratic side, but it may be two you know, underfunded candidates, that kind of thing. But I did notice that a lot of the Republican incumbents have Republican opposition. Now, is it token opposition? I don't know. But let's say um, somebody gets in the ballot box in um, many of these districts. Uh, the six districts, for, luckily for Karen Handel, is not one of them. But, I mean, you want to talk about um, the 3rd District, the um, 7th District. Rob Woodall may have a tough race in um, November, but then he is a primary opponent. Uh, the 8th District, um, the 10th District, all of those – the 12th District, all of those districts have um, Republican challengers to the Republican incumbent. Is there a chance that somebody just goes in and says, throw the bums out? Um, not even knowing much about their opponent and just votes for the other party. Could be interesting to see. Yeah. Well, yeah. until next week. Been the Kudzu, Vine. Good night, Good night y'all. Don't guys. forget to vote. All right. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force? What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.